Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with Yusip Oline. What's up? Hey, Tobias. All is good here. We actually spent the past weekend in Lapland, and this was sort of an ad hoc travel. About a week ago, we sat down and figured, well, we have an empty weekend, what should we do? And then I said, well, let's let's actually see if there's any cheap flights to perhaps Lapland. Because the thing here is that this past weekend was unofficially the, the weekend that sort of merges the fall to the winter. And, and you see the changes in nature at the same time quite drastically. So we figured, okay, let's let's fly to Lapland, let's take the kids and, and do some fun stuff there. But when we landed, the, the weather was beautiful the whole weekend. I almost said out loud that it's nice to be here in Lapland, but then I realized that for somebody like me coming from the capital area in the south of Finland, flying to the place we flew to, it's about, what, 700 kilometers it's not officially lapland you can sort of think of it as lapland but we are still so far south that we are not in the northern part of finland so i figured okay for us it's lapland for anybody around there it's central finland so i was happy we spotted some reindeer when when driving around we saw some bears we spent time at the spa because you know kids but what i was most uh, excited for is that we were capable of avoiding the theme park that was fully made of plastic. So I sort of distracted the kids with something else and they didn't want to go there anymore. So all good. It was a good little holiday. But then again, it's always fun to come back home because you feel like you've been gone for days. We were gone for three days. Yeah, very nice. That sounds great. We actually took a look at doing some excursions as well. And we, we also spent some time talking about different spas we wanted to go to. Unfortunately, with, with kids going to those spas, perhaps it's not super appreciated by anyone else going there. So we're looking at options. So instead of doing that, we spent our weekend trying to do the IKEA kitchen planning thing. So we're designing a new kitchen. We bought a new house a while ago, and the old kitchen is well, old. And we kind of want to renovate a little bit to uh, to get some new stuff and make this our own place. And the the software that they use now, so this is a, a virtual meeting or like a Teams meeting, and the software they use is pretty realistic and very impressive. So I wanted to share that for anyone thinking about renovating their kitchens. But also, I'm, I'm thinking about you know everything that powers this thing. It's obviously running in the cloud somehow, and it's it's pretty cool. It does feel like my existing kitchen. But with you know all new materials, and I can clearly see the end results uh, using that tool, uh, projecting it how it could look. And you can choose 2D or 3D views, so you can kind of walk through the room and, and whatever. And it's super performant, and it looks exactly like my real kitchen. It's actually really impressive. And, and so I spoke with, with a friend of mine who's working at IKEA, and they said like they're investing so much into the future of IT so they have everything running in the cloud or a lot of things running in the cloud and they invest a lot in developing these tools. So it's pretty cool to see, you know, something that's running now 
in production, in cloud, in various clouds, I might add, that have an, a very applicable use case for an end user. Like, So it's not an organization running an intranet or hosting your web app or whatever. It's, it's a pretty popular kitchen planning tool. And they literally every spot in the calendar for the next year is booked and filled with people planning their kitchens. So the, so the guy showing and, and helping us model the kitchen was, he was super excited and that we had a call, but he was also very tired already in the morning because he knows that for the coming nine months, he will have a call every 45 minutes about planning someone's kitchen. <laughs> so he politely asked me for the next call, if you don't mind, we could do it in the warehouse because I really miss meeting people. <laughs> so, and this was kind of fun because you realize it's been everything turned virtual, right? Everyone started working from home, including a lot of people at IKEA. And you see this theme or pattern coming back every day now that people miss people, right? Working from home is awesome, but when you don't have the choice anymore to actually go into the office or, or go meet people, then it becomes frustrating. So you can, you can see this taking a toll on, on people. So maybe we'll actually do the next meeting in the warehouse because I, th I think they do it in a, in a good way now. So there's not 1,000 people in line, but it's actually done in uh, under controlled circumstances. So um, because I also miss meeting people. So maybe, maybe we'll do that and have the chance to eat the IKEA meatballs that we're so famous for. Yeah, the meatballs. And then when you exit, you've just paid for everything and you're figuring out how to pack your car. But then they, they often, at least here in Finland at the IKEA, they, they have this sort of a little store where you can buy the Swedish food and candy and whatnot. And yeah, they, the bistro. They have, yeah. They, they, they have the little Swedish uh, candy that's shaped like little cars, the bilas. Yes, those. <laughs> so when I was a kid, those were the special ones we could get on the on the party boats between Helsinki and Stockholm. But now I can just go to the nearby city and I can actually buy those. It's a it's a really good candy. Uh, interesting bit. Before we actually get started, I, I want to pick on on something you said on the investment on the future of IT, and you might recall this because I know you heavily invested your skills and, and energy on all things SharePoint and intranets and content management systems and whatnot years and years ago. And I felt then that when you really were troubleshooting something in SharePoint or figuring out how do we do the extranet and firewalls and everything else, I felt at the time that this is the toughest challenge in IT. And now I was just reading something on, I think it was on Stack Overflow, Somebody was asking something related to a content management system and somebody else replied, well, this problem has been, has been cracked and solved years ago, perhaps come up with a real challenge now. And it's funny how things change in 10, 15 years. Yeah, it is definitely different problems today than we had before. Indeed. Alrighty. So today it's episode 99 and it's about Azure updates. So roughly every four weeks or so, we aim to focus a bit on the different Azure updates and changes we are seeing. And and we'll go through this one by one. Uh, would you like to start? What's, what's top of mind for you, Toby? Uh, yes. So there is something called Azure AD Graph. This is being retired. So in, in June 2022, which is coming up fast if you're using this in production, if you're using this in any workload, 
the Azure AD graph will be retiring and discontinued. So if you are using the Azure AD graph for anything, you need to replace it with a Microsoft graph. And that has all the same capabilities and then a lot more. If you've worked with Microsoft Graph, you know you can connect to uh, Teams, you can connect to uh, SharePoint, you can connect to uh, you know all kinds of different endpoints. You can get groups, users, you know a bunch of data. And the older Azure AD Graph is a kind of a limited subset of what the the current Microsoft Graph can do. So if you are still using that, you should definitely look to migrate to uh, to Microsoft Graph because as as they will retire or deprecate Active Directory or Azure AD graph, you might just have full data loss in production stuff. So essentially, I think their warning is to avoid loss of functionality, migrate your applications to the Microsoft graph before June 2022, because, and they clearly state this pretty much everywhere, on this date, all the Azure AD graph API endpoints will stop responding to requests. So if you have applications running on the Azure AD graph, which again, is the older version of the graph, then you need to look to migrate because June is coming up quickly. And if you run it in production, uh, you know that things can take some time to roll out depending on your organization, the size of the organization, the size of the projects. Might also be good if you're in a big organization and you might have projects deployed, but there's nobody maintaining them. Make a scan to see, you know, find any Azure AD graph applications you have because if there's nobody maintaining them, they will stop working. So this is, very important. In the show notes, I'm going to put a link to a PowerShell script that can help you identify if you have any of those applications. And then you can figure out if you have an Azure AD app, you can see them, you can get an inventory, if you will. And then based on that, you can then take action or connect with the appropriate individuals or teams who then have to take action on their applications. Uh, So there is a path forward, and that path is Microsoft Graph. This is an interesting change and I, I fully understand the reasoning behind this but per, perhaps what I'm sort of thinking and putting on my IT pro hat here is that for years there's been a lot of different PowerShell commandlets from Microsoft that utilize Azure AD Graph instead of Microsoft Graph for certain things where you set up an organization for federated identities and hybrid connections and whatnot and my understanding now is that if you've created your custom scripts and you do not rely massively on these ready-made commandlets from Microsoft that utilize the, the, the now legacy Azure AD Graph, then it's more or less just, just routine work to replace those. But then again, if you are using any of the, of the commandlets from Microsoft that they often document use this to achieve that, then I feel, and I haven't fully really investigated this yet, but I feel that there's some gaps that you cannot do with, with, the, with the new commandlets that utilize Microsoft Graph the same way you could with the older commandlets that used, it, used the old endpoint. And, and I feel that perhaps there's an update being pushed between today and end of June 2022, that you need to keep on the look for that if you if, if you work with the old ones that you can actually achieve the same things without resorting to creating a lot of custom scripting. And this is perhaps the IT pro challenge in here. For devs, 
I feel it's much easier because you, you will just replace the endpoints and figure out what changed. But for IT pros, if you rely on a commandlet, then you, the only thing really you can do is wait for an updated commandlet to do the same things. Yeah, it's a it's a good point, and I I think in the app migration planning checklist they have also a re review of the differences between these APIs, and there are some uh, differences for request call syntax between these two services, so that could happen differently. There are some feature disparity or um, feature differences, if you will, uh, so directory extensions and batching and differential queries and stuff like this is also different. Entity resource names and the types, properties, methods. So there's a bunch of things that's different. So it's not like you just switch and everything works. So you have to kind of do this app migration. And that's a good point that don't wait until June and then just flip the switch because it might not be that easy depending on what you're utilizing today. Exactly. And especially if you're based in the Nordics, uh, by June 13th, you are already on, on your summer holidays. So, so fix the thing before June, so you actually get to spend your holidays. Next up on me is uh, screen capture protection for Azure Virtual Desktop is now generally available. So awfully specific, but this relates to both security and Azure Virtual Desktop, and, and obviously in the future, hopefully for Windows 365 as well. So this is a feature that protects from people when they access the Virtual Desktop in Azure to do whatever work they do, uh, that they cannot use print screen, if your keyboard still has that button, or any snipping or screenshotting tools of the session you have open to the Virtual Desktop. And I, I haven't really needed this myself, but then figuring out that if you work in finance or other fairly heavily regulated industries, then this would be a requirement quite often that we want to protect the content, especially if it's customer related content, that you simply cannot print the screen or take screenshots of that one. But then again, everybody has a smartphone next to them. So it's, it's fairly easy to use the camera but then again, if the smartphone is, is a managed device as well, then that might help. No extra cost on this, so fairly tiny feature, but something I feel a lot of customers will, will simply embrace and say, okay, nice to have this, moving on. Yep. So I, I've always wondered about these screen capture protection stuff, because you can just take your phone out of your pocket and just take a picture of the screen and that's done. There's no protection against that, but I, I understand the built-in capabilities are, are good. But I guess you can never protect everything fully in, in this way. If it's in plain text on the screen, then you should consider the, the data to be non-sensitive as such, or at least no passwords or anything like that should be available. So the second thing for me is yet again something that's being retired, and uh, we've touched about Azure Functions a lot of times. Now, with Azure Functions, it's retiring a bunch of stuff. So the first thing is Node 6. So if you use Node in Azure Functions, version 6 is ending on February in 2022. So that's pretty soon. Uh, the reason for that is that the community support is ending or has ended, or I think will end on February 2022. So obviously Microsoft cannot continue to support that. But the same with Node 10, which is ending on September 2022. So that's pretty much a year from now. And again, that's because community support is ending. So the only recommendation I have here, if you're running Node, 
make sure you're on the latest supported version of Node when you run in Azure Functions, because this will keep happening, right? If you deploy something and you just let it sit there, at some point it's gonna run out of support. So if, if you do have Node Functions, just make sure you're on a supported version. Same thing goes with Python. I know some people are running Python workloads on their Azure Functions. And again, a year from now in September, 2022, Python 3.6 is ending. So the support for Python 3.6. So again, make sure you're on the latest version of Python if you're using Azure Functions or the latest supported function version of, of Python supported in Azure Functions and make sure you keep that up to date. And finally, which I know even more people who are on PowerShell 6 uh, is also ending support for Azure Functions in September, 2022. So Azure Functions is you know, undergoing a lot of deprecations in one way, but it's only version deprecations in, in this case or retiring the support for, for these versions, which I think is a very good thing because you should keep things up to date and you know, old versions and old libraries and old frameworks also come with security gaps and feature gaps. So make sure you're, again, if you use PowerShell, use the latest version of PowerShell that's supported in Azure Functions and make sure you keep your libraries and your scripts up to date. So that's the update around functions. So no feature update as such, just to be aware that versions are being deprecated actively in Azure Functions. And you should keep an eye on that if you use any of these. I'll, I'll continue on the same theme here, really. So it seems that this, this past four weeks has seen a lot of updates related to uh, deprecating or retiring anything old and, and still giving plenty of time to react. So for me, the next one is, is uh, about Azure AD Connect. The latest 1.x version, which is the old version, is now retired. It was retired at the end of August 2021. And the reason mainly for this was because it had SQL Server 2012 components built into it. So by now it doesn't work. If you're using Azure AD Connect to synchronize your identities and building your hybrid infrastructure with the old version, it simply doesn't work anymore. So what you need to do, you either need to do an in-place upgrade, meaning you uninstall the old version, you install the new one and you reconfigure and run a full sync. Or you can do something called the swing migration. You set up a new new server, configure that, then stop the synchronization on the old one. But then again, if you have the old client, the synchronization is already stopped. But then you have a new box with perhaps a newer operating system. And then you configure that to do the migration from now on. And then you can retire the old one. So you need to upgrade Azure AD Connect and Technically, you can still force that to run for about 12 more months until end of August 2022. But by now, you really shouldn't be running the old version anymore. That's also good to know and makes sense. The next update on my side is something that just hit GA. I think we mentioned this in preview at some point. Uh, it's cross-service queries between Azure Monitor and Azure Data Explorer or ADX, if you use that. So if you're using... Uh, ADX, you'll be happy to know that the Azure Monitor can now support these kind of cross-service queries between ADX application insights and log analytics. And you can query your ADX cluster by using log analytics application insight uh, kind of tools. Uh, and you can refer to that uh, in a cross-service query and vice versa from within ADX 
uh, you can pull the data up from log analytics. So this is not groundbreaking updates, but if you use with monitoring and Azure Monitor and Azure Data Explorer, you might've heard about this. Now it's in GA or general available. So you can start using it in production uh, without thinking twice. And I think that's really good. So I'm, again, putting the link to that in the show notes. You can just click it and uh, explore that. And, and you know, if, if you work with KQL queries and things like that, which I do a lot for all my monitoring stuff, that will also work for, for pulling queries out like this. So it has support for, for the different tools that you work with, log analytics and application insights and KQL queries. So take a look at the link I'll put in the show notes and see what you can relate to if, if you're using these services. I remember when the first preview of ADX uh, became available. This was some years ago. I, I spent one afternoon configuring it and, and it's super flexible, but I also felt at the time that it's it's fairly technical in the sense that you really need to configure a lot of things on how the data is going to flow. So this this might perhaps be something we need to revisit in a future episode. In, in, in both positioning ADX with Azure Monitor, Log Analytics, and, and sort of talking through how you get this set up, because I'm, I'm quite sure it's changed since I initially tried the preview. Next up on me, this is something that caused quite a bit of work for me personally. So multi-step web tests will be retired end of August 2024. So this was already, I think, communicated about a year ago that the plan was to get rid of the multi-step web tests in Application Insights. And at the time, I did have a couple of customer environments where we had fairly complex multi-step web tests to ensure certain capabilities within a custom web service where we're constantly running. So we would do custom authentication automatically, uh, click through different things and ensure that the database was returning the current things back to us. And when I realized that Visual Studio 2019 started complaining that, hey, you see, I, I see you're using the multi-step web tests, perhaps time to move on. I started searching, this was about a year ago, I started searching, so what should I use in place of these multi-step web tests, you can easily record in Visual Studio. And at the time, the recommendation from Microsoft was that, well, perhaps use JMeter or this and that custom open source tool thingy. Here's a link. And the link went to some open source website with zero explanation how to migrate anything. So I ended up replacing most of these multi-step web tests with Playwright. And I think we did an episode on that, how you can capture the custom tests and run those. But obviously you cannot utilize application insights for those anymore. So I resorted to using Azure Functions in a Docker container. But now the official guidance is that if you're using multi-step web tests, you still have about three more years to migrate away, but you cannot create new ones anymore. And if you want to remain with this sort of functionality within application insights, you have to use the track availability method in C sharp and embed that in a custom availability test. So it sort of is the same, but now you need to code your test instead of recording something and then modifying the code. So it's a bit more cumbersome and I haven't really tried the track availability. It seems like a lot of work, 
but this is perhaps also something to test in the future. Yeah, I think that makes sense. They also announced a long time ago that they will stop supporting these coded UI tests or or was it the, the recorded performance tests in Visual Studio, uh, which you could then run as part of, you know, in, in Azure in, in various ways. And, and they did that a long time ago, I think two years ago now. So at that point, we also resorted to other things. So for multi-step tests, we are doing Selenium or anything else. And like we did an episode on the Playwright, like you mentioned. So I think looking at options is good. And Microsoft also has on their website, they have a, a link section where they talk about you know UI testing and things like this and availability testing. And, and they say, if you need to ping stuff in whatever checkup time, App Insight can do that. If you need to actually check that portions of your application is working as expected with a, you know, launching a browser, go here, verify this, whatever, then they have a link section saying, use any of these things. So I think that makes sense. So while August 2024 is a long time away, they've already started deprecating several things in this area. So it makes no sense to wait here. So I'll take a look at that. So the next update for me is about Automatic key rotation of customer managed keys for encrypting Azure disks. Now, the reason I want to mention this is I think this was also preview or we mentioned this briefly at some point that it's very important to do key rotation. You need to manage your keys. You need to be able to refresh them. But it's also super cumbersome when you have an Azure disk with snapshots and whatever that's already running and being encrypted with key number one. And then you generate new keys and have you know the, the manual work of getting everything using those new, new keys was a bit cumbersome. So now Azure Disk Storage comes with end-to-end -end encryption and keys stored in Azure Key Vault, just like before, but now you can enable automatic rotation of those keys. That means when you generate a new set of keys in your Key Vault, the system updates all the disks, all the snapshots, and the image using the keys to the new version. So you don't need any manual updates to the new version here. You just go to your vault and you say, hey, let's generate new customer generated keys. I want control over these. You generate them and voila, it will automatically take care of the Azure disk storage. That's pretty cool. So you don't have to run custom scripts or maintain this on your side. So now you can enable the automatic key rotation this way, which I think is a actually a very powerful feature. So if you do have Azure disks, Take a look at that. That's actually really convenient. Perhaps uh, a bit of clarification here for somebody who hasn't worked on, on Azure disks, especially the encryption side, is that when you provision a virtual machine and obviously you utilize the Azure disk storage, uh, the, the storage at rest is encrypted by default, but the VM uh, that, that, that will then utilize that storage can be encrypted as well. So all the storage the VM will mount. And that feature, as I understand it here, is, is directly related to this capability. Because when you enable Azure Disk Encryption, ADE, it will ask you for the key. And when I was working on this a couple of months ago, this capability did not exist. So I would spin up a key in Azure Key Vault and just forget about it. But now it's super nice to see that I can actually go back to Key Vault and just regenerate the keys without fear that perhaps my snapshots from the past six months are, are now rendered useless because the key is not yep. matched with those anymore. And, and that's the power that it also takes care of the snapshots. 
So you don't need to persist the keys for the last 10 years if you want to go back to an older snapshot or whatever. It's a convenient update, I think. It is, it is. So next on me, this is actually three updates rolled into one. So this is three individual announcements with slightly different, different dates, but they all relate to sort of the same thing. So a bunch of Azure virtual machine uh, families or, or types will be retired. And, and the ones that will be retired is the ND series, the A series, NCV2 series. And these are for different use cases. So anything that starts with an N usually has a GPU that you can utilize for for machine learning or different scientific calculations and whatnot. And these will be retired um, in the following order. The ND series, which utilizes the P40 GPU, the Tesla P40 GPU, that will be retired a year from now. So end of August, 2022. The classic A series, which is sort of the first ones we eventually got way back when in Azure, will be retired end of August 2024. So three years from now. And the NC version two, which is identical to NC uh, version one, but it has a more powerful GPU, the Tesla P100 GPU, that will be retired end of August 2022 as well. So there's a lot of moving parts here. And I'm happy that they communicate this upfront, but just last week, I was I was working uh, in a customer tenant, and we had a need to spin up a couple of new VMs that have beefy and powerful GPUs. And I was browsing through the long, long list of the VMs you can you can choose from. And price wise, the NCV2 and the ND are fairly affordable and, and, and powerful enough. So I was about to select NCV2 because, hey, it's version 2, it has to be better than version 1, right? But then I, I had this inkling and I, I hadn't read anything about this. And I did a quick search, NCV2, and the first hit was, it will be retired uh, next year. And I was like, okay, let's not go with this, let's find something else. We eventually settled with something else which was a bit more expensive. But then again, I don't have to start migrating anything about 10 months from now and worrying if something breaks. So ND, NC version one, NC version two, and A will retire between a year from now and 2024. Yeah, okay, good to know. As per usual, my final update will be around security center updates. And these are from August, and it's a mix between preview features and GA features. One is that Microsoft Defender for Endpoint for Linux, now supported by Azure Defender for servers. So that's in preview. So if you use that, then, you know, good news. Again, it's in preview. So if, if you feel that this relates to you, then you can take a look at that. Perhaps more relatable in this area. Also in preview is two new recommendations for managing endpoint protection solutions. And those recommendations are endpoint protection should be installed on your machines. 
So essentially to protect your machines from threats and vulnerabilities, you should install a supported endpoint protection solution. That's the recommendation. The other recommendation is endpoint protection health issues should be resolved on your machines. So one is you should have it installed. The other one is when it finds health issues after it's been installed, you should rem remediate that and you should resolve any issues. So those are two new recommendations. And I think the freshness of those is about eight hours. So if you enable it, it might take some while before you actually see it. There's also some built-in troubleshooting guides for common issues and common problems. And this was, I think, in preview a little bit, but now this is in GA, so this is available. So if you go to Security Center, there's a button or a link, Diagnose and Solve Problems. Just like in Azure App Service, you also have the Diagnostic section. Here you have Diagnose and Solve Problems. And then you can find all kinds of stuff like Azure Defender features, portal and UI, recommendations, operations, and management. So there's different sections and categories where you can kind of drill down and, and run diagnostics, if you will, uh, from Azure Security Center. And that's pretty cool. Uh, so take a look at that. Not going to dive into details in this episode. Maybe we can actually do an episode on Security Center and some key features, because I think this will be part of that. The other thing, if you've listened to this show before, you know I talk a lot about regulatory compliance. It's so much fun. And regulatory compliance dashboards, Azure audit reports released for GA now. So the regulatory compliance dashboard toolbar in Security Center offers Azure and Dynamics certification reports for these standards applied to your subscription. And why this is important, when I work with some of our customers, they say, are you using a public cloud? Are you using a third-party service provider to host our data? Yes. Who are you using? Well, we're using Azure. Okay. Are they certified? Sure. What certifications do they have? Okay. That's a tricky question, but it isn't if you know where to find the data. And this is where you go to Azure Security Center. You go over to the regulatory compliance section because they're asking for regulatory compliance. And then you have the audit reports. So push the uh, audit report button. And from there, you can download the ISO 27001 and ISO 27018, and, you know, all the different certifications that Azure and Microsoft has for Azure and Dynamics. And this is a question we get time and time again. How do you protect our data? Are you using third-party cloud service providers? Are you using a public cloud service provider? If yes, which one? After you've answered which one, you know, how are they certified to protect our data? And yeah, obviously Microsoft is, is leading in this space as well. So they have all the certifications you can think of, which is really good. And I think right now the reports I downloaded this week are from 2020 because a review and certifi certification takes some time. So by the end of this year, maybe the 2021 reports will be done. And next year, you can download the 2021 reports. So there's audit reports for ISO, SOC, PCI, high trust, US government, industry, and regionals. So there's a bunch of different types of reports. So again, you can hear I'm getting excited about regulatory compliance, which perhaps is something not a lot of people get super excited about. And I'm just happy that we can answer all the questions that, that we get. So this is a really helpful thing. Uh, for doing that. And then I think the final thing I want to mention, I have a bunch of more things with Security Center, but I also realize I'm just talking here now. So the most relevant final update on this side would be that also in GA now, the recommendation, recommendations page now includes multiple views. You have secure score recommendations or all recommendations. 
because some recommendations relate specifically to your secure score. And if your job is to increase your secure score or to ensure that you follow compliance in within the secure score and that's what you're working on, you can now see that view on the recommendations page. Or if you just want to see everything that you can improve, you just go to all recommendations. You can see everything. So it's a small update, but very convenient. And I think that's it. That's a lot of updates for Security Center. I, I think we did an episode on Azure Security Center about 94 episodes ago. So perhaps time to revisit this and, and sort of see the big picture again and, and if anything has changed drastically since the last time. Uh, the last one for me is that Azure Cloud Services classic deployment model is retiring end of August 2024. So before we dive deeper into this one, Toby, when, when was the last time you used Azure Cloud Services, the classic anything? Uh, so the last time I deployed it is a couple of years back. The last time I operated it was right now. <laughs> so un <laughs> unfortunately, I might say there are some legacy services that we are operating, non-critical, I might add, but nevertheless, they are running classic and they have not been getting a lot of love lately. So they are, we're actively looking to migrate these to the, to the new workloads as well. But given it's low priority, we haven't done it yet. So, so there's at least one workload running with the classic, like a cloud role. What was it? The name is cloud role or web role or something like this. And, and it's still running in a classic resource. Yeah, I recall you had the web role and the worker role. Uh, and the web role was for the whatever you are interfacing or presenting and the worker role was sort of the back end and business logic. Uh, yeah, it's it's been so many years since I actually had a chance to work with the classic cloud services. So the deployment model that some companies are still using on this one is, is being retired. And instead of, of, of migrating everything you've built on, on the classic cloud cloud services, you can use something called cloud services extended support. So you have three years, roughly starting today, to move on from cloud services classic to cloud services extended support. I would perhaps opt to move from cloud services classic to anything Azure resource management based, but sometimes it's not possible. So the cloud services extended support is, is a provider in an Azure subscription that you enable. And once you've enabled that, there's a migration tool that will actually help you move from classic to extended support. That way you can keep your existing code base as is without needing to rewrite everything for the more modern Azure platform. So it's fun that they give you three more years because if you have a massive deployment, it will probably take a couple of more years on this one. But the the announcement article, the URL is, is azure.microsoft.com, blah, 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 slash cloud services retire, retirement announcement. It doesn't say anything about the classic deployment model. So quickly looking at the URL, you go, oh no, it's being retired, we have to do something. But that's perhaps intentional because if you're still using classic, I'd say that it's akin to perhaps using Windows XP or Windows 7. You really have to start planning for the future. That makes sense. 
Okay, so this was all the updates, 10 in total. Make sure to check the show notes, plenty of links in there to everything we mentioned. And we only have the last thing, the unexpected question. And Toby, I think it's your turn to ask me. Okay, so I've got a question for you this time. Uh, if you were suddenly transported to another planet, how would you assess the situation? Oh, this is a this is a tough one. Way back when, I think this was in 2007, uh, I joined Microsoft and this was still a time when if you joined Microsoft, they would actually fly you to a boot camp in Redmond. And I think I spent three or four weeks there, six days a week, learning everything about Microsoft, the organization and everything else. And we had a one day workshop on something like this that you you are in a plane you crash in alaska in the wilderness you're 10 people which would be your team in the same table you assess you have the following gear salvaged from from the crash what do you do and you sort of had to had to come up with a unified plan on that one and the lesson that i still remember from this about 14 years later is that don't stay put pick up the stuff and start moving so what I would do if I was I was suddenly transported to another planet, I would assess everything that I had at my disposal. I assume I would have my existing clothing, which is my comfy pants and my t-shirts. Probably not my phone though, perhaps a pen that I'm often often holding when we do the recordings. I'd I'd probably figure out is there anything I can I can eat? Is there anything I can drink? But most importantly, I'd be happy that TikTok would not work. So if I had my family with me, my kids wouldn't be able to watch TikTok anymore. And that would be great. <laughs> what a huge win. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All righty, this was fun. This was episode 99. And, and next up, next week, we have episode 100. So we have to come up with something fun for that. Thank you for joining. As always, make sure to check the show notes. And until next week. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.